But tonight, I'm excited to talk about an issue that I think our country has as a whole, or the people of our country have as a whole. But it's, it's an issue that I think has gone from being a recognized issue to being the norm. Have you ever had a problem and then just got used to it and stopped seeing your problem? Maybe it was like a hole that your kids put in the wall at home or a strange sound that your car makes or like a quirk where you're like, oh yeah, that lock doesn't work. You have to reach around from the other side. Like sometimes we get these issues with our home. We get these issues with our vehicle and we just find a way to make it work and move on. And after a little while, we just stop seeing the problem. Has that happened to anybody with anything? All right, for the rest of you, you got so used to it, you didn't even know that it happened. <laughs> no, it's, it's one of the things you don't realize it happened, and then you go to, like, let someone borrow your car, and they're like, why won't it? And you go, oh, yeah, if that happens, you gotta, and you give them the list. But, but what I wanted to talk about was the danger of isolation, the importance of connection in a world of isolation. I think we live in a society that is one of the most individualistic societies ever. And it is crazy how, how easy and how this has like crept in. I was all excited about my message and Pastor Dwayne asked me what I was teaching and I told him and he just starts reciting information he was reading today because he's always reading something. And he was just looking at a study and they looked and they said, our society has shifted from everybody hanging out in the front yard where they wanted to connect with their neighbors to hanging out in their backyard. And as if that wasn't enough, we started putting up privacy fences so that when I'm in my backyard, you can't see me. Now, yeah, you can say maybe it's just because it helps keep the dog in, which is nice. And I'm not against having a private backyard, but there's just been this cultural shift, even in the home. It went from building in these large dining areas where everyone would get together and hang out. And the shift happened, and now they make really big master suites where you can hide from everybody and lock the door. And it was just this, like, this, this cultural shift where we started going, well, what about me time? And can I just hide from everybody? And there was, as this began to shift, I began to think about like the daily habits of Americans. And as a whole, like there's this expectation that you're going to get up and you're going to go to work. And you go to work and you're going to be nice to people because if you're rude to people at work, they fire you. And so you're nice to people and it probably goes work deep. I mean, you talk about work and basically work and maybe the weather and then you go home. And you go home and you cross the moat and you uh, lower the, or raise the drawbridge, I mean, shut the garage door. Um, whatever you can do that keeps people on the outside. And I, I remember when I grew up, we had like 17 acres and we had a quarter mile driveway. So neighbors didn't just swing by. So I didn't know any neighbor etiquette until after I got married and bought a house. And they're like, yeah, if your garage door's open, it means people can come over. If it's closed, it means stay away. And I look around I'm like, wow, they don't like people, do they? Like, but I had to like figure this out. But there was this, this, this culture where they're like, oh, well, well I'm going to work with people here and I'll, I'll have enough of a relationship that we can tolerate each other at work and then I'm going to go home 
get the mail from the car, heaven forbid that I walk the 50 feet down the driveway where someone might see me and say hi, and then I'm going to pull in and I'm going to shut the garage door before I get out of the car, just in case somebody talkative sees me, aka they're running from me. But but there's this thing where this became the culture, and then you're well, what happens when they get inside? And most of them get inside and they bust out their chair, they bust out their phone, they turn on the TV. And even in their home, their connection is weak and they end up isolated. And this was a problem. And then 2020. We thought we had isolation issues until 2020 happened. And then we became masters of isolation. Like, it was the new cool thing. You're like, what do you do? Nothing. Who do you do it with? Nobody. But what if you need something? We now have a society where you can get anything done without seeing somebody. You're like, I need stuff from the store. That's okay. I can use my phone, tell them what I need, pay for it, open it up, and my interaction with somebody will be, what's your name? I'll tell them my name and say, put it in the back. And it's done. And like, we have this whole thing where you can... Get all of your stuff done. You can go to any of these restaurants. You're like, I'm going to go out to eat, a.k.a. I'm going to punch it into my phone. I'm going to pull up into spot. I'm going to text it when I get there. I'm going to hit, you know, spot number two. They'll bring me my food. They'll put it in the passenger side window. Heaven forbid they come within six feet of me because we are going to stay away from each other. And then, and you, you look at this and you're like, oh my word. And like this human interaction just begins to like dissolve in our society. You go into the store and the extroverts notice that there's other people, but they get a chance to like talk to the cashier. And now half of the cashiers are a computer. You, you walk up and you're like, no need to worry about talking to somebody unless you're buying something that requires you to be 18 or your machine stops working, which is only every other visit. And so, but they have it set up so that you don't have to talk to anybody. And there's a level of convenience that they're going for. I'm not blaming them. But as I, as I looked at this year and its effect, uh, there was a study that said in 2020, mobile phone use increased 215%. Uh, another study said that they're spending on average between five and six hours a day on their phone. This is the average American, not including work-related smartphone use. Not including work, five to six hours a day. But just in case that left you thinking that's all they did, they also watched TV. Uh, I, I looked at two studies. One study said it was five and a half hours a day was the average for the Americans. The other one said it was just over four hours a day watching TV. So depending on, how, on which set of numbers you look at, that's somewhere between nine and 11 and a half hours of screens where instead of talking to somebody, I am entertained, where I become unaware of my lack of connection while I'm an island, where it used to be relational, it's become just make the time go away. Can I do something that will just occupy me, that will be mindless, and this isolation became the normal. And as, as I think about it, 
first I'm an extrovert. And so I'm like, this is awful. But I'm like, is it okay? What if, what if we're just happy with our moat and our drawbridge and our screens that help us not realize that we forgot to talk to somebody because we're getting to know somebody who doesn't even exist or pretending to be someone that they're not? No, they're an actor. Like, that's kind of what they do. And I started thinking, well, what does the Bible say? Does the Bible have a say about the importance of relationship or the importance of connection? Is it okay to be an island? And so I began to look, and as I looked, uh, you, the Bible actually waits like a chapter to get in on this, actually. Um, so you go to the very beginning, you go to Genesis, and God begins to make things. And so Genesis chapter, chapter one, <clears throat> God makes things, and he says, when he gets done, he made light, and then he saw it, and he said, it was good. And then in verse uh, 9, he goes through after making some other stuff, and he says, it was good. And then in verse 13, and this was good. And then in verse 18, this is good. And he just goes on. He keeps making things. He gets done making things, looks at the things he made, and he goes, yeah, that's good. That's good. And that seems to be a pattern until chapter 2, verse 18. Um, he made man. But he made him alone. He said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper for him. And he goes through after making all these different things and goes, you know what's not good? Someone by themselves. An island isn't good. Human beings are meant to be in relationship. And he goes, if you are all alone, it's it's not okay. It's not healthy. It's not the way that you were designed. So I was reading a, a book by Andy Stanley and Bill Willits, and they're talking about community, and they found, they, they found a study that I thought was really crazy. So they studied over 7,000 people over nine years, and they studied who was going to live and who was going to die. And they, they decided that people, said researchers found that isolated people were three times more likely to die than those with strong relational connections. And I thought, okay, that makes sense. Because has anyone ever done anything stupid? Okay, when you're alone, you do the stupidest things. And sometimes it's your friends who look at you and go, don't do that, it's stupid. That's gonna break, like, you know, whether, and as, as, a, as a young boy, there was a lot of stupid things that we did, and, and some of them, our friends would help you go, hey, that's not strong enough to hold you. You probably don't want to put your life on the line for that, or um, are you sure you want to try to climb over that? Are you sure you want to jump that? Are you sure, like, sometimes, and I just figured that the health benefit of relationship would come in the wise counsel of that person who would hold you accountable whether it was driving too fast, climbing on something that wasn't safe, or who even, even would tell you, remember your doctor told you that you needed to lose some weight, so let's do this together. Or you know, those people who would sit here and, and would help hold you to it when you said, hey, I need help getting this under control. And I thought that's where all of the health benefit would come from relationship, you know, from these people who would tell you, you know what, you already had dessert. In fact, you already had three. How about you try a vegetable? But but here's what they said. They went on. They said, people who had bad health habits, such as smoking, poor eating, obesity, alcohol use, but strong social ties, 
lived significantly longer than people who had great health habits, but who were isolated. In other words, it's better to eat Twinkies with good friends than eat broccoli all alone. <laughs> and uh, I, I heard that, and at first, yeah, I laughed, as, as all of you, but, but it just shocked me because it makes sense when you're helping me make a healthier choice that I would live longer, but it said even the people who weren't making healthier choices lived longer when they were in relationship. And I started thinking about this going, well, that's weird. You know what this is? It is a car. You know what it's made of? Legos, I guess. I don't know how well you can see it from there. This is Legos. Legos serve two purposes. There are a few purposes, but we're going to just focus on two. Number one, when they're united, you can build cool stuff. And when they're alone, they can really hurt your feet. Like that is... (laughs) That's the thing with Legos, but when you have a piece by itself... It's purposeless. Legos are designed to be together. They're designed for connection. And apart from connection, they're just a foot trap. Waiting. They just are a mess in your kid's room across the floor. Waiting to sabotage your feet when you come in there for some good purpose. But like the Legos, we were made on purpose, with purpose, and we were made to connect. See, um, culturally, we've forgotten this. Culturally, we have replaced being connected with being aware that there are others. And I say that because a lot of people are going, no, I'm still connected. Have you seen my Facebook? I've got 2,500 and something friends. And some of the older generation looks and goes, are you sure? And the younger ones go, yes, it counts them for me. And then some wise old person looks back at them and is like, can you tell me their names? And they're like, well, I can tell you a couple of them. And you're like, well, well, I even checked on some of them. I spied on them. Not that they actually know that I'm aware of what happened, but they posted it and I looked at it. So does that count for being connected? And you're like, I'm aware that they exist. I'm even aware of what they had for dinner last night. But I'm not really connected. I'm not really in relationship. I'm not even sure if they're real people or if they're fake or if they friended me just because they're trying to sell something because that's a thing. But we go through this, and so often our level of connection has become a stat on a screen rather than a relationship, rather than someone who does, we do life with, rather than somebody who we, who we answer honestly when they ask us how we're doing. And we end up all alone and we have people who are Facebook friend friends, people who we'll see in the hallway who will ask us, how are you doing? And you'll lie through your teeth right at them. Like, how are you doing? I'm doing great. It's been the worst week of my life, but I'm not going to tell you that. 
really struggling. And I need a friend right now. I really need encouragement, but I'm going to fake it because I'm all alone. But I have Facebook friends. Some of them on Facebook, some of them in person. But we have a choice. And God calls us to be in relationship. See, as you look throughout your Bible, there's a list of one another's. There's over 30 one another's that the Bible tells us. It says that you need to love one another, that you need to encourage one another, that you need to bear one another's burdens, that you need to forgive one another. And it goes through and it lists all of these different one another's. But in order to one another, it requires others. And there's a deep, we'll repeat it one more time. One another's require others. We have to be in relationship with other people to fulfill what God has called us to do. God gave us a list of one another's. In fact, in Hebrews 10, 25, it says, not to neglect the meeting together as some are in the habit, but encourage one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. He goes through, we are called to be in relationship. We are called to gather together. And some people have been missing out on a lot of the purpose of church. They race in after worship starts and race out during the altar call trying to be the first one to the car. If that is you, you have missed out. There is more that is available to you. Relationships matter. And I, and I talk to some people and they go, no, 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 it's okay, it's, it's me and Jesus. They're like, I like Jesus. It's other humans I don't like. <laughs> they're, they're like, can I just love Jesus and hate Christians? And they're just like, they've got this idea that they're just, they're good with Jesus. And as long as they're good with Jesus, relationships with other people are not important. They're like, well, I'll just pray. Can I just love them all from a distance and never see them? Unless they're on a screen. Um, no. Okay, so if we look back in Genesis, back at this, God made Adam and he put him in the garden and it was perfect. The, the garden was perfect and it was incredible. Adam had all of this and God walked with Adam. Now, I cannot tell you how many days it was from the day that God made Adam to the day that he sinned. But it was enough days that he recognized the sound. So I, he recognized the sound of God walking in the garden. So it implies that this was not the first time that God walked in the garden. But as Adam is walking in this beautiful garden, as Adam is with God, and at this time there was no sin, things were perfect, and God did not respond and go, it's just you and me. It's perfect. God looked at Adam and said, it's not good for you to be alone. I want to be in relationship with you, but I made you to connect relationally. You need somebody in your life. And it's this crazy shocker that, that even in this, God looked and said, no, you need to be connected. And as I, as I say this, I think there's a lot of people who look and go, you say that because you're an extrovert. Are there, I, I was going to ask if there's any introverts in the room, but let's be real. If I ask that question, most of them won't raise their hand. <laughs> They're like, you asked me to get out of my shell. You just told me I had a shell. Anyways, so I, 
But when I got married, I discovered something. <clears throat> Number one, my wife is differently, different than me. Important discovery, if you're thinking about getting married, your spouse is different than you. Um, on the list of things that we're different about, I am an extrovert all the way. My wife is not. And so this created an opportunity for tension early on in our marriage because I wanted to have people over a lot. And I wanted to have different people over a lot. And after, I don't know how long it had been of me having different people over all of the time, she finally told me that I was driving her crazy. And I, I was like, what? But we're supposed to love people. What do you mean? And like, so I'm like shocked. At like, how are you a Christian loving people who doesn't want to have people? Well, I discovered something. Extroverts are happy to shallow connect with everyone. Introverts need connection every bit as much as extroverts, but they want deep connection with a few. And I was trying to get her to connect with everyone, and it didn't work. But she goes, I just need someone the same. She's like, you meet, you bring somebody over and I don't even know them. And we're shooting the breeze and it's shallow. And by the time I finally get comfortable, they're gone and then it's somebody else. And at first I thought it was because she didn't value connection or she didn't need connection in the same way that I, or the same, like I needed it. And then I finally realized she actually needed connection at a deeper level than I did. And I began to realize the introverts and extroverts are all made for relationship. And I was talking to people in a seven at seven about this and someone looked at me and they go, yeah, but, but when I'm in a group, I feel more lonely than when, I'm with people, when I'm, than when I'm alone. And I looked and I just said, I'm so sorry. Because that means you're broken. And I don't mean that means you're like a faulty human. But there is... When you're with people, you notice that you're not connected to anybody. And you're feeling the hole that's there. When you're alone, you're going, there's no one around. I should be alone. But when you're with people, you're going, but I'm not connected to any of them. And if that's you, I'm sorry. It's not the way it's supposed to be. And it doesn't have to be the way that it stays. Relationship matters. The Bible says that he who isolates himself rages against all sound judgment. It's this spot that the devil tries to get us. The Bible says that the devil goes around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. If you ever, anyone ever watched like Animal Planet or any of Discovery, like the animal things? If you ever watch the lions, it's amusing. But they will try to get some critter off by itself because if they can get it off by itself they can take it down even if it's bigger than they are you know what Satan does he tries to get you off by yourself so that he can attack so that he can destroy so that he can tell you his lies and not have anybody speak the truth in the Bible there's a guy named Elijah 
And this happens to him. Elijah has a winning streak. If you're not familiar with Elijah, he's a prophet in the Old Testament. And you can, you can read his story in 1 Kings. Um, and, and we're going to pick it up in chapter 19 here in a second. But he goes through and he prophesies, it's not going to rain until I say so. And it stops raining for three years. God, God says, hey, I'll, I'll take care of you. He goes out by a, a little stream and God sends him food, express delivery, courtesy of birds. They bring him food for a really long time until the brook dries up. They bring him bread and they bring him meat. And you're like, this is crazy. When it dries up, he's like, now what, God? And God goes, hey, head over to this widow. She's gonna take care of you. He gets there. And this is like a really cool story. I don't have time to tell the whole story but I want to make sure that no one's left out if they don't know the story. And, and he goes, and at his word, they make a move of faith, and God fills up their food jar for years. They were out, and it doesn't run out until after it rains, which is years. And then he goes, and he challenges all of these false prophets, and he goes, all right, who's going to be God? And he challenges them. And after he challenges them, um, he goes, all right, you have a sacrifice. I'll make a sacrifice. No one will light it. You pray to your God. Then I'll pray to mine. Whoever's God answers with fire, that's God. And they're like, this is cool. So it's him versus 450 prophets of Baal. The Israelites are all just like, let's watch and see what happens. And this goes on. That nothing happens for the prophets of Baal. Finally, it's his turn. He prays. God sends fire down from heaven, consumes the, the sacrifice, the altar, it's this massive win. The people are like, okay, that's who God is. And they go and they kill a bunch of the prophets of Baal. And then he goes, he prays. It rains, like the rain starts to come for the first time in years. And so it's just like, you are just like winning, 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 winning. Like this is awesome. And he, he the spirit of the Lord comes upon him. He's like outrunning the king's chariot back towards Jezre uh, the city of Jezreel and, and Jezebel, the queen, Here's about what happened. And she goes, by this time tomorrow, I'm going to kill you like one of the prophets of Baal. And then it says, and when he saw that, he ran away and he hid under a tree and he asked God to kill him. And I looked and thought, this is one of the stupidest verses in the Bible. Okay, first off, you just had how many wins in a row? Second, you are afraid that she might kill you. So your solution is to go ask to die. Does that seem strange to anybody else? You're like, if you're wanting to die, why'd you run? Like at least you could have stood up and at your present rate, your odds are really good. But no, you, so I'm just looking at this, I'm like, what is going on? But I looked, and in this place of isolation, falling for these lies becomes so normal. Last year, statistics tell us that over a third of Americans were struggling or dealing with depression and anxiety. This is supposed to be a place where people find healing. See, when Jesus was asked, what will mark a Christian? What will mark a disciple? How will someone know? He says, you'll know my, a disciple 
By this, all will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another, he goes, you're going to one another in such a way that people are going to see me in you. And I look and I pray that that's what marks this place. I have prayed and I ask God for three things for this service. I ask three things for this church. I ask that this will be a place marked by the love of God, the presence of God, and by changed lives. And when I say the love of God, I don't mean sermons that I preach that tell you that God loves you. I mean that when they walk in, they encounter a people that overflow with the love of God that draws them in, that connects them, where they realize that they can be accepted because God loves and accepted them, where there's healing and where there's forgiveness. And when I say the presence of God, I mean where they encounter his love, where they encounter his power, where they encounter freedom, where they encounter healing, and that this will result in changed lives. But God wants relationship with us and he wants relationship for us. The mark of a disciple is the way that we love one another. God wants you to be connected. But that requires intentionality. Things that are worthwhile take effort. If you put a ball on a hill, it will always roll down. If you want to get to the top, you have to climb. Um, Relationships matter. And and we've got things to help you get connected. Tonight, in just a minute, I'm going to dismiss, and I've got cookies for you in the lobby so that you have an excuse to stay and talk to somebody. And if you all get like gunked up in a pile trying to get a cookie, the whole point is so that you can talk to the person in line and next to you to get a cookie. And it's not about giving away cookies. It's about creating an opportunity for you to connect with somebody. It's going, how easy can I make it? And maybe you're like, well, but I'm on a diet. Then just stay and talk to somebody. If you say, well, well, I need more of a connection than I can get there on Sunday night. Well, then fine. We have a men's group that meets on Tuesday mornings at 6.30. We have a women's group that meets on Thursdays. We have a married, married life that meets on the first Wednesday of the month, group that you can be a part of. We have um, opportunities to serve all throughout the church, and they, they create community and family in amongst the groups that serve. When my wife and I discovered that we had lots of Facebook friends, but we were devoid of of connection. We just said, who do we want to connect with? And invited them all over and said, all right, we need more connection. Will you connect with us? We'll call it a group and we'll possibly study something or maybe we'll just talk, but we're going to connect. Who's in? Everybody that we talked to said we're in. And it wasn't like, let me think about this. They all was like, would you be interested? Yep. I didn't even like finish. They're like, yes, we want to be a part. Now, the day that you pick may determine whether or not we can be a part, but desperately, we need to be a part because so many people are looking for a relationship. And as I look, we've got different areas that we can help you get connected. But the, the first connection that you need is to be connected with God. And if you haven't made Jesus the Lord of your life, I want to give you an opportunity to connect with him because that's where it all starts. So can everyone bow their heads and close their eyes? If you say, today, I want to be connected to God. I want a relationship with him. I want to know that my sins are forgiven, that I'm right with God and on my way to heaven. 
If that's you, I'm gonna count to three and I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand. Every head bowed, every eye closed. One, two, three. So that's me. Awesome, I see your hand and your hand and your hand and your hand. Another one back there. Who else is, that's me. Awesome. All right, we're gonna, we're gonna do what the Bible says and we're gonna call on his name. So you can put your hands down. And whether you raised your hand or you've done this before, go ahead and join me as we say this. Say, God, thank you for loving me even when I make mistakes. I'm sorry for my sins. I believe that you died and rose again. Thank you for washing my sins away. I choose to live for you from this day forward. I declare that you are my Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.